Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we break down our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2024 season. Of course, all of you are now listening to this episode in the year 2024. What does that mean? It means we are just days away from the start of a new college tennis season. And as I have said on just about every episode, I know I speak for all of us when I say we are ecstatic for the start of a new college tennis season. Of course, before we see those first tennis balls struck, though, we still have a little bit of tidying up to do here on this podcast. In fact, we have finally reached our top three in our Division I men's and women's preseason polls. These are certainly teams we expect to be at the top of the college tennis landscape all season long. Teams we certainly expect to see compete for a national championship come May. And look, if you don't know the deal of these preview podcasts right now, all I can say is where have you been? You've missed out on some fantastic conversations and you can catch up on them all by scrolling down in your Great Sean podcast feed. You can find them all on our website, crackrackets.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. But of course, our agenda today, breaking down the number three preseason team in our Division I women's college tennis poll. That team, of course, are reigning NCAA semifinalists, reigning SEC tournament champions, and a team known to you all as the University of Georgia. And joining me to help break down the Bulldogs on today's podcast is a man who has joined me on each and every one of our preseason top 10 episodes. A man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets shows, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, my co-host for all things Deciding Point throughout the course of the year, and most importantly, my dearest friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, happy new year to you. You excited for the start of a new season? What a flawless introduction. You're kicking <laughs> off the new year just right. You know we're getting down to our top three teams. Everything is rolling off the tongue, hitting the points. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Final three teams, all very exciting. I feel like we've really hit our stride on this series. So looking forward to talking about the Bulldogs today. I'm really glad you said that because at about the minute 12 mark of that intro, I was like, Alex, don't you dare f*** this up. I was like, this is so good right now. You just cannot afford to screw this one moving forward. And yeah, again, maybe it's the Bulldogs that bring the best out of me because certainly this was a team that was exceptional in 2023. They look like they've got quite the roster in 2024 as well. And it's a team I've mentioned I'm very excited to discuss. Certainly looking forward to today's podcast as well. And look, I know it's a new season. 
you'd like to think we'd have an opening tangent for you to kick off the new year. We do not. We are ready to get right into these University of Georgia women heading into 2024. But of course, before we look forward, what we've done as part of this podcast series is always look back and provide some context where this University of Georgia program stands entering a new season. Of course, last year, again, statistically, Not a lot to complain about from the Bulldogs. It was a very successful season in Athens, 26-5 overall, 12-1 in conference play. But of course, after losing to Texas A&M in the regular season, they go on to beat the Aggies in the conference tournament to capture another SEC tournament crown. This is also a team that, yes, reached the NCAA semifinals, but it does feel worth noting they made a national indoor final as well. This team was good in every portion of the calendar last season. And by the way, that makes sense as it was head coach Jeff Wallace's last season on the job. And look, I was doing some research in the buildup for today's podcast. I went all the way back to 1998, Jay, Since the 1998 NCAA tournament, a tournament that saw the Georgia Bulldogs reach the semifinals of the event, they have made at least the quarterfinals or further in all but five NCAA tournaments. So why do I bring up that stat? If you are looking for the definition of blue blood in women's college tennis, yeah, actually, you'll see Stanford first. But right under them, you will see the University of Georgia, who, in my opinion, defines what we mean when we say that term blue blood. Again, excellence is the standard. It's the expectations for those who take on that mantle of the big G on their chest and compete for the Bulldogs. And, you know, again, with that context in mind, Jay, you look at what last year's team was able to accomplish 26-5 and SEC tournament champions, NCAA semifinals, national indoor finals. Certainly not an underperformance for the Bulldogs, right? My question is, did you view it as an overperformance or did it feel like things were just right? And again, this program gets back on track after it's worth noting a round of 16 appearance in 2022. Well, first off, that stat about the five non-quarterfinal appearances, you're not going to give me a a stab. I think a a chance to guess. You know, I love a good piece of trivia, but (laughs) do you want the five years? We can do it. Oh, that's a little too much trivia for me. Uh, but no, it's a good stat. You're right that this Georgia program has perennially been in the, the national championship conversation. I think 2023 was a fantastic year. And I think it was a step forward for this program who had lingered in the 2017-2018 year. Then they make the tw- the final in 2019 and, you know, they make the round of 16 in 2022. They were looking to get back to where they have been year after year. So I, I think not only winning the SEC tournament, which they had sort of seeded to Texas A&M. We've talked about the SEC having some down years and Texas A&M was the team that really emerged from those down years. And that was a surprise. If you think, you know, Florida, who actually is above Georgia in that blue blood conversation, given their number of NCAA team titles. But given where Georgia has been, you would have expected them if Florida was going to have a few down years, Georgia might emerge. And that finally happened last season where they took the crown back from Texas A&M in the tournament. But also that indoor run, making the indoor final for the first time in a few years it definitely overperformed my expectations of them. We knew they were very solid. I don't think we anticipated the Liam Ma revelation. I think the big 
thing that was new for us was Leah Ma disappeared at the end of the 2022 season. She came back better than ever for the entirety of the 2023 season, both in the fall and in the spring. And I think sitting here today, a year ago, when we had Georgia, I believe, at six, we expected Alexandra Vekic to be eligible for them. She was not, but Leah Ma stepped into that number one spot. So for me, I think it was an overperformance. I feel really good about the direction this program is moving back into. And yeah, I nothing to complain about, like you said at the top. Yeah, it's just what worked so well last year is you did have these two separate rosters, right? In the sense that you had the through line of the twenty, the people who were there for 2019 in particular, Meg Kowalski. But yep. you, know, you had her, you had Anya Hurdle, you had Leah Ma, who I will always remember perhaps most fondly for her 2021 NCAA. I refuse to take off these long sleeve appearances. And that's just when I'm like, what is going on with this super talented young player on this Georgia roster? And, you know, you're absolutely right to see her disappear at the end of 2022, come back and be a top 10 player for the duration of the season, 16 and five at the top spot. Like it was a sensational, uh, sensational senior campaign for Ma. And it just allowed, you know, again, to have her at the top of the lineup, it allowed your sophomores in Dasha Vitmanova, in Mel Riasco to, I don't want to say dominate, but dare I say dominate. At those two and three positions, Vidmanova in particular, another ridiculous campaign, 17 and three at the number two spot. She's now 49 and 13 for her career at Georgia. Similarly, Mel Riasco, 18 and six overall in dual match play, 17 and three at the number three spot. She's now 51 and 15 at uh, in her career in dual match play. But, you know, again, but in the pre- and having the presence of Aliyah Ma and having a Meg Kowalski who wins her last 14 decisions, 19 and five on uh, in dual match play, 111 and 24 in singles to end her career. We're gonna miss you, Meg Kowalski. She was just the epitome of a winner. Um, yeah, I yeah. think we need to pour one out for Meg Kowalski. I know yeah. we're focusing on the 2024 season, but being that through line from that 2019 national championship finalist run to where she was today and what a storybook moment too to end it on those same courts 2019 or in orlando 2023 in orlando she epitomizes what we all love about college tennis i mean not only so involved in her own you know georgia community but just on the court her fight her presence you don't often see that. And so it was um, it was fantastic to see her return for a fifth year. We'll absolutely miss her. And I know this team will miss her deeply. All day Zeke gave him some street cred that Meg Kowalski just never had the nickname to ga- gather. But she was Zeke Clark with less press. Like it's the same career. It's the same through line. It's the same energy, the same fighting spirit, the same intensity, the same. I'm going to leave every ounce of blood, sweat and tears on this court. And you have to rip me off it to beat me like just the thing you need to be elite in this game. Meg Kowalski has it in spades. And so I'm uh, I'm glad you said that. We'll see if we can get a sound effect here. Westoff, pour one out right now for Meg Kowalski. Again, we've covered her throughout our time, certainly uh, doing this podcast together. And we will miss her presence. But again, to have those sure things for all these young players, especially at six where you never do, is it going to be Mina Rundorn? Is it going to be Anastasia Lapata? Is it going to be Gigi Grant? Again, all these different 
underclassmen pieces trying to find their footing early in the season, knowing that, well, we got Kowalski on the board, and we're probably going to get at least two of Ma, Vidmanova, and Riasco. It just provided a certain luxury for these Bulldogs that, again, allowed them to go to a 26-5 and campaign. And it is worth noting, and I say this with love, Drake Bernstein, if you're listening to this, don't send me an angry text. I actually think he would be the first to admit it. This team kind of sucked at doubles last year. Oh my god! Now that's a little hyperbolic, but like no, 43, it's not. Yeah, forty-three and thirty-five in individual double sets for a twenty-six and five team. Like with all due respect, pu, and it just speaks to how good these Bulldogs were in singles last season. And as we look towards twenty twenty-four, Jay, that's why I think I'm so excited about this roster is because all that singles talent is pretty much back. And then you just think like, all right, we've had nine months to try and figure out this double. Can we get it correct moving forward? Like the the adjustment is just so clear for this team. And so, you know, as we start to look at the roster, Jay, again, it's so tough because we have like just the perception skewers in North Carolina and Stanford who are just each once in a generation type rosters almost. I mean, again, Stanford might have a junior slam champion from 2023 on their bench. I'm not saying no. that's going to happen for a, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, no, that is such a straw man. There is zero chance Catherine Huey is on the bench unless she is in a cast. Save it for the Stanford pod. We'll get there in a second because uh, we'll, get well, I'm not going to let you insert it here then. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, here's the point. They've got seven players that like in the right year might be playing one for a top 10 school. And, we did the Rabbin thing on the last pot, so I don't need to make that point again. But we know where North Carolina is. Here's the thing, though. When I look at the returners coming back, and again, there is a leadership component to Kowalski's absence where you wonder who is going to step up, who is going to be that proverbial uh, spirit, spearhead, you know, that proverbial kick in the butt for all the teammates of, hey, let's get the energy going. Let's get the flow going. And you wonder if that actually might be their new uh, associate head coach in Jared Chaplin, which we can talk about when we get to the new additions, because I actually think that's as significant of a new addition as anything else we'll see. But when you look at the returning roster, Jay, that head coach now, Drake Bernstein, who's longtime assistant, elevated to the head coaching job. And by the way, there wasn't even a search. Like it was just Jeff's retiring. We're giving the job to Drake, former Georgia men's tennis player, obviously, as well. Well-deserved, by the way, promotion for Drake. I'm not trying to say that as a slight that they should have gone elsewhere, but you look at the roster he gets to roll with in year number one. I expect there to be a thank you note from him to Jeff, like, oh, yeah, thank you for leaving me in a good spot. The, you know, some people leave the cupboard empty. He left the cupboard completely full, Jay, when you look at Vid Manova back. Riasco back, Lapata back. And by the way, we haven't talked about her in the returner sense, but in her freshman season, Anastasia Lapata, nine and five overall. It's not because she wasn't she had a bad year. It's because she never got to finish because yeah. all of her teammates had already won in advance. But I really liked what I saw from Lapata all season. And again, Vidmanova, Riasco, Lapata, a Gigi Grant who got better and better as the year progressed. 15 and 3 overall in dual match play. She's got real weapons. If my Narundorn's my six, I don't feel bad about Narundorn in that position. A former top recruit who can grind her tail off in that position. That's the returning nucleus of 5J. And that's a really good foundational block to begin with. Like, again, 
even before we get to the newcomers, that's a top eight team right away. Well, and that's juxtaposed to some of our teams that we've already spoken about in an Oklahoma State or Texas A&M where there isn't as large as a returning core and the returning core might not be in as high up in the lineup, right? What a luxury to bring back two, three, four, six. And we'll talk about new addition Alexander Vekic, but she was around this team last year, right? She was ineligible, but that's a huge component of this as well. So they bring back just a lot of experience together as a cohesive unit. So you don't have those doubts about how the team chemistry will work, how they'll jive together. Like you might have on some of these other teams we've talked about who are at four or five, they're bringing in all these new pieces, either transfers or freshmen. And that can be a recipe for success, but it also could be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and let the record be clear, they're also bringing back Alexandra Vecic, who wasn't eligible last season, but got to be around it all last year, and you cannot understate the value. Oh, excuse me, you cannot understate or overstate? Overstate is what I want here. You can't overstate it because it is that significant to just be around everything, get the practices, see the dual matches, feel the energy and intensity of a national indoor final, of an NCAA semifinal, of an SEC tournament final. And by the way, I meant well, to say this. Well, <laughs> she, she wasn't there in a lot of those. No, but uh, experiences. But I'll, and I also meant to say this earlier. Shout out to this team for making sure at least Jeff Wallace gets some sort of ring to leave on. Like to win that SEC tournament, to get one title, I actually think that was essential because of all of the winning he had done. It just felt right to send him off in that fashion. But, you know, again, before we get to those new pieces of that returning five who played last year. Who in your mind needs to take a step forward this season? Who's the one you're looking to to say, hey, like, I don't need you to just sustain your level. I maybe need you to find another gear. Is it any of them or are the newcomers that good? No, I mean, I definitely have thoughts about both Vidmanova and Riasco that I think fit into that category, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. Riasco, I think, can be better in the big moments and her record was the one that you maybe want to improve one or two less losses in those tight moments, right? There were a few close losses that she had, uh, particularly to Texas A&M and some of those close matches that maybe you want back. So I think she is able to take a step forward. It's hard to ask a Vidmanova to improve upon 17 and three, but she can be so excellent. I mean, the talent is absolutely there from a you are already ranked as one of the best players in the country. But no, I really think you could be like the best player in the country. Like, I want to see that jump from her. And I don't know if that's coming. But both of those players, I would list and say now is your upperclassman, you're not going to be able to hide behind a Leah Ma or even a Kowalski. Like, this is your team now. You are the upperclassman, and both of them need to take steps forward in different regard. And I like that you brought up Jared Chaplin because as I reflect on the 2023 season, the one thing that I thought was missing outside of their horrendous doubles was there was a, a fire that not everyone on this team possessed. And you looked to Kowalski to bring that and the energy that permeated you know, throughout the team. But you look at that match against North Carolina in the semifinal, it was lifeless for a lot of these singles players. And 
that can't happen if you want to win an NCAA title. That would be my one thing I would wish to change or improve upon. And so I think both Vidmanova and Riasco can make strides in that area. It certainly was tough to see two 4-0 losses to the Tar Heels last year, and they were the unique team who happened to play North Carolina three times, them and NC State, the only teams you could say that about. And again, when three of your six losses were to the national champion who arguably on paper, one to six, as strong of a national champion as we have seen maybe in a couple of decades in women's college tennis. Like, I'm not going to knock you. One of the best teams, certainly. Jay's making a face at me. You're telling me historically that Carolina team couldn't match up? You know what? Save it. Save it. We're not going to get to the tangent. Yeah, I already see that. Unless you feel strongly one way uh, as it impacts to Georgia. But I guess what I'm saying is, to your point, like, why you'd feel so encouraged about that Vidmanova Riasco duo in particular taking the next leap is because the match I would turn to, Jay, is the Oklahoma match in the round of 16, where those two kind of, it kind of did fall on their shoulders. And to their credit, they both stepped up. Now, Riasco didn't finish, but man, just that fight with Carmen Corley and her just managing to stay ahead and keep her nose in front. It was so critical for a Georgia team that, by the way, you know, somehow, maybe the biggest upset of the NCAA tournament was them coming out and taking the doubles point against Oklahoma in that round of 16 match. Like uh, my yes. jaw, I'm, st- I'm still shocked by that result. But, you know, to see to, to not only come out and win the doubles point on that day. And, uh, you know, again, for what it's worth, yes, they did win the doubles point. Uh, Vinmanova, Riasco were up 5-4. They didn't finish. But, you know, again, they were up everywhere in that doubles. And then to have Dasha, who's kind of cramping. And, you know, she was just going through the gauntlet of all emotions, all feelings, taking on Adana Guzman, who's going to do that to you at two. For her to get over that finish line, be the clincher for this team, like, That was certainly a moment for those two to build off of heading this season. And you said it. Like, you watch Dashavit. I mean, I've said this now for how many years? Like, it's the third time we're going to go through this. But, like, if you're looking for what a pro player looks like, look at Dashavit Manova. The serve, the weapons, the size, the fluidity for that size. Like, She's got all the pieces. It's just a matter of how does she want to put that puzzle together on any given day. And I know Vecic is really good. I know, is it Oral? I might blink on the last name. It's not, no, it's not Mert Oral, excuse me. But it's, um, who's their new freshman who's also very good? Icicle. Her last name is Mert. Yeah, oh, Mert. That's what it is. You know what? I thought Oral because it's Mert Oral for Michigan, who I've known now for quite some time. But it's actually the Mert, not the Oral, that translates over. So brain blast for Alex here, folks. Anyways, leave all that in, Westoff. I do think, again, to be a national championship player, you got to have one of the five best players in the country. It just really oftentimes becomes that simple. And yes, Vidmanova has floated in top 10 territory, but she's been in that territory without needing to do it. This year, they need her to be that anchor at the top. And I know she has that tennis in her. I'm just fascinated to see if we will see it consistently week in, week out, match in, match out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Oklahoma match. That was one of my favorite matches from the Super Regionals. I mean, of course, the atmosphere of the Georgia fans, the night match, it was raining, like it had all of the pieces and components. And you're right, they showed a lot of heart in that match. That match could have easily slipped away from them, particularly against a team in Oklahoma that is going to bring that fight. They need to bring that to a 
more muted environment and find it in themselves, right? That those players didn't show up in that semifinal match against North Carolina. So they need to bring the energy they had in the Oklahoma match throughout the duration of the season. If they do that, now we're really talking. Yeah. And it's also worth noting again as we look at these returners like Drake going from associate head coach to head coach. He's a little more energy. Like, he's a little looser with it in the sense that he wants his girls to get after it. He wants that intensity to be visibly displayed by this Georgia team. And I'm not saying that wasn't Jeff Wallace, but Jeff's a little more old school. Like, he wasn't going to demand that out of his players. I do wonder if Drake, if Jared, if this coaching staff might say, hey, like, give me a come on every third point. Just give me a little bit more. And, you know, again, coaxing that out of his players while allowing them to remain comfortable in what they're doing and how they operate out on court. Like, I know this is such an intangible thing, right? You can't measure heart. You can't measure intensity or energy. But like, if you gave this team a double dose of Adam Steinberg and just had them going and, you know, uh, you know, just all these extra teams, like, I do wonder if that would be a collective boost to this group because it's never like it's never about the talent with them they can always match up one through six this year and so uh, it's just going to be fascinating to see if that there will be an extra emphasis on that team energy and intensity component that again so often I (laughs) maybe you get a little suspect quoting him now but as Brian Boland always used to say it's the team that loves each other the most that's the one that's going to win at the end and I'm not saying this team didn't like each other at all last season like of course they did but do they love each other enough to trust one another in those big moments to go through I think how Drake Jared developed that culture throughout the course of the year is going to be fascinating because again you know there's no like standout senior this is the leader this is the person we are turning to and so you know again they've got all the talent from a returning standpoint and by the way just last thing because we kind of brushed over it quickly I really like Gigi's Gigi's game uh, Jeremina Grant, of course, who are we allowed to call her Gigi? We're going to anyways. Like the weapons, how she moves forward, like the contrast of how she wants to play at six versus the opponent she's facing. Uh, there's a reason she went 15 and three in dual match play last year. Like that was a nice little boost that gave them the extra bit of depth. And her saying, no, 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 I'm taking, the, like, I guess she said, I am taking this sixth spot. And I want to see Georgia players in this roster this year say, uh, you know, if you're Vidmanova, I am taking the number one spot. If you're Riasco, you say, yeah, Vecic, you've got a lot of talent. Number two is mine this year. Like, that's what I want to see. A little edge. Yeah, I mean, Gigi, I think, had the breakout year on yeah. this team. Of course, we, we talked about the Liam story and all of that but i mean we didn't know who was going to play really four five and six coming in to the season and they were working through that at indoors you saw that they were swapping players in and out for her to have the record she did at six she absolutely took that spot and you're right that's a game style that you don't typically see at number six and she certainly has the potential to continue to move forward worth noting that it's not just vidmanova and riasco that are juniors they also have my narundor and gg GG, it's weird to call her GG Grant. I know. Uh, <laughs> I did the exact same thing where I was like, am I going to call her GG Grant or just GG? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I, they have a lot of options down there. And so certainly for her, and she's always been a factor because of that game style in doubles as well, traditionally played at the top of that doubles lineup. So yeah, they bring a lot of pieces back and that 
doesn't even talk about some of the falls that we saw from other other players. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get to the newcomers here now as well. And let's start with an old newcomer. We're going to get to see Alexandra Vecic play this season. And look, she was one of the most highly touted recruits we had come to college tennis last year. This is someone who is a top 10 junior in the world, not a top 10 junior in her country, a top 10 junior in the world, someone who was top 500 in the WTA rankings prior to coming to college. And look, again, someone who there were high expectations on entering last season. Now, we didn't get to see her play at all, but talk to me about what you've seen summer, fall, what people should know about Vetches as we approach this season. Is she someone who, not just maybe a top three contributor, but like, could she just straight up make the leap to one? Yeah, she absolutely could. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you mentioned that she was top 500 prior to enrolling at Georgia. Since then, she's peaked at 384 in the WTA singles rankings. She's been pretty much a fixture on the ITF circuit, playing at the kind of the 25K, maybe 60K level. You know, she's tested players like Peyton Stearns, taking her to three sets, former NCAA singles champion. You know, we haven't seen much of her in college, though. She played one event this fall, played three matches, won them all. And that was it. And so it's always an adjustment going into college. You can see how very, look, you look at Diana Schneider, right? Clearly by May, head and shoulders, the best player in the country. She dropped matches, you know, three matches throughout her, uh, her spring campaign. So that's always the question mark for her. So does she play number one out of the gate? Maybe. Is she the best player on the team? Also, maybe it's really tough to say, you know, because you also have a Vidmanova who doesn't play pro events. I don't know what her pro aspirations are. So it's really tough to get that apples to apples comparison. But there's no doubt she's playing at the top of this lineup. I would be surprised if she doesn't play one, to be honest. I think given the numbers that Vidmanova and Riasco put up at two and three, but if she starts at two, proves herself, gets acclimated to the college tennis environment yeah i could see her starting a little bit lower and moving her way up but she's someone absolutely to watch yeah it's it's going to be fascinating her level because if she is a number one i know how good vidmanova can be at two i know how good riasco can be at three and you mentioned this earlier like she went 17 and six man if riasco's at three again this year an 18 and three or even like a a 15 and two record where okay maybe she has less wins but it's because her other teammates are winning i just i would expect fewer than six losses if i saw riasco at number three again this year and i know again you're kind of skewing the math finding dual match wins jay's making a face at well i was gonna say it depends on how many matches they play indoors yeah sure sure that's not not an unfair uh thing to point out, but in terms of the freshman, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to, I'm blanking on her name, there's another freshman, uh, Tatum Buffington, who, four-star recruit, you know, I, I don't expect her to contribute right away to this team, just given the talent they have everywhere, but certainly two other freshmen worth noting, and we saw a little bit of more of Mert during the fall, so I want to get to her in a second. Do we think Gracie Epps could play this year, or is it more Mert-centric in terms of freshmen making the breakthrough? Because Epps was a former top-five tennis recruiting recruit. Yeah, the Epps story is fascinating. She's from Oklahoma. She committed to Georgia fairly 
early on in December of 2021. And then about four months later, she gets injured. She doesn't play for 18 months until she shows up at Georgia this fall and plays some matches out with a pretty serious injury. Of course, in your junior and senior years of high school, that is a tough time to be injured for that long. But she was the top recruit in her class for many years throughout middle school and her early high school years. And she absolutely crushes the ball. Has a very solid backhand. Forehand can be a little bit inconsistent at times, but you wonder how much of that is just because of the lack of match play. So I don't know if there's expectation for her. I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see her take a red shirt to just like get better uh, and get more match fit. But she's absolutely a player that Georgia fans should expect to contribute throughout her duration in Athens, whether that happens this season or not, I think is truly just is down to her recovery time. And I don't know what that process looks like for her. It is fascinating because if she's healthy and playing good tennis again, you mentioned it, she was the gal in her recruiting class just about her entire life before getting injured. Now you're eight deep and now you have eight legitimate options everywhere. And now you knock on the door of Stanford, you knock on the door of North Carolina and say, Hey, we feel like we can match up with you guys at every single position, and you can say that without a lying smirk on your face if she is healthy, if she is fit right away, because I really liked what I saw from Mert early on, and I apologize for not saying her first name. Trust me, it's better that I don't butcher the pronunciation, but this is someone who is ranked as high as number 52 in the ITF junior rankings. This is someone who has played plenty of pro circuit events as well. And, you know, again, talk to me a little bit about her fall. If you expect her to be able to perhaps leapfrog a Gigi Grant, leapfrog a not mind run door and kind of make a push and say, hey, I, I'm ready to get into this lineup right away. Certainly the pedigree is there. She also comes in as a top 50 junior in the world. She's number six in the newcomer list this season. We should mention Vekic was number one on that ITA newcomer list. Her results this fall, nine and five, there were no outstanding wins, uh, which I typically look for in some of these uh, newcomers. I'm happy to see volatility and they might get a few nice scalps and then, you know, uh, regress. But she appears to be really solid. Uh, I'm getting like Lapata vibes from her with maybe a little bit of a bigger bigger game, bigger forehand. She didn't really take any bad losses in the fall. Like no one, you're like, oh, maybe the level isn't there. So I think she's absolutely in the mix four through six here. And I think it's going to be matchup dependent. It's going to be trying to get her reps into the collegiate system. She played a lot of doubles with Vidmanova. So that will be helpful in acclimating. We'll see. Yeah, I I don't really know what to expect from her. Uh, I need to see more. Yeah. Jury's still out, I'll say. No, I think that's completely fair. And again, looking at the fall records, 55 and 27 overall for the Bulldogs as we kind of get into who had the breakout falls and who had the breakout summers here. Now, you know, again, Gracie Epps, as we just talked about, she played five matches, three and two. No significant names really for us to discuss. Mm-hmm. Can't say that about Mert, who went nine and five overall, who I thought had, a, you know, again, a pretty good fall in terms of straight up just like the names she was facing and who she was able to beat and have success again against again. You know, again, to the Connie Ma loss might be the one that stands out from a scoreline 
perspective, but to beat a Bach Collins, to beat an Aaron Richardson, to to just get a bunch of matches on the boards here and get reps against like the Carly Briggs, the Nikki Redelicks of the world. We got to see Mert tested a little bit. And again, do I think she's ready to take on those top half of the lineup players? No, I don't think she's quite there yet. But like, that's not what she's going to be asked to do on this team at all. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the tough thing to quantify is like I look at those results this fall and say she's absolutely in strong consideration for their four through six. Where she fits in, I'm not clear yet. It's still a low sample size. But again, I don't think she took really any bad losses uh, and she beat names that are going to be in the four, five, maybe six spot at some of these other schools. So, okay, the level is clearly there. I just don't know if there how much upside exists past that, but yeah, she's gonna gonna be factoring into that four through six. And look, they're gonna have a lot of competition for that. So, you know, if she's not ready, they have other names that can step in. Couldn't agree with you more. And I do think their breakout player of the fall is Minor Undorn, who had an exceptional, exceptional fall. Thirteen and four overall leads the team in victories. But again, it's not just that she got wins, it's who she beat. Marcella Cruz, Lauren Zalota, Megan Husser. Emma Jackson, Victoria Allen, Claudia de las Harris, Sarah Mount Fortin. Like, damn, damn, my, like, that's a solid, solid fall for someone who, again, had kind of fallen out of favor of the singles lineup at the end of last season. That fall tells me there was a chip on the shoulder. That fall tells me, no, no, no. It, I'm not just ceding the spot to to Gigi. I'm not just speed, uh, ceding the spot even to an Anastasia Lapata, who, by the way, they both had solid falls as well, eight and five, nine and four, respectively. But I saw a little something from my this fall. Like I think it's fair to call her the breakout player of the fall for this roster. Breakout player of the fall for this roster, yes. Breakout player of the fall more broadly. When you look up across players who weren't in their singles lineup and make such a big jump, that's a, something you love to see, right? Clearly, there was a lot of work put in in the summer to to come out and have those results, wanting to get back into the singles lineup after being out of it for the majority of last season. I think the thing that people who might not know those names you listed, those are all players that are playing in the upper or middle part of a top 40 school. Sure. And this is a player who was outside of Georgia's top six last season. And so for her to do that, for her to do that consecutively, not just one tournament, yes, she won five matches in a row, I believe, at All-Americans. She also kept it up, right? She kept playing well throughout the season. So it, Two hands on both sides, you know, interesting game style. It doesn't have the most power, extremely consistent. And that's going to be a, a, a menace at any of those lower lineup positions. Should be a rule that if her and Riley Tran are both in the lineup on that day, they have to face off against one another. <laughs> Give me all the two-handers possible. But yeah, to the testament of everyone at Georgia at minimum had a decent fall. And I know we didn't see a ton of Riasco, a ton of Vecic, who both go 3-0 and respectively. But... Vidmanova's 30 in the country. Vecic is 35 in the country. Lapata is 70 in the country. Narundorn, 108 in the country. Riasco, 116 in the country. They got five ranked Georgia Bulldogs to start the season. That's a good place to be. And, you know, again, it just speaks to the options they are going to have uh, throughout the course of this season. I think they can run seven. Certainly, if Epps is healthy, maybe even eight deep. But we alluded to this earlier. 
And I do just think it's worth mentioning here as we put a final bow on uh, this roster and, you know, the summer, the fall they have, like, I need to see more from the doubles. Like, I just need to. I think that's a huge piece for this team is making some improvement. And, hey, just like, do you know how nice it will be for all of them to be like, yo, we're up 1-0 going into these singles matches. Like, we haven't even been in this position before. What a luxury. And, yes, Grant Narundorn, who ultimately, I think, 15-10 and 10 at the top spot. Uh, overall, excuse me, a dual match play last year. 6-7, and seven, though, in the top spot for Georgia when they were asked to play there. They had a pretty solid fall. You know, they're now 15 in the country. They go 7-3 and three overall. Their other ranked team is Merton Vidmanova, 6-4. and four. They're 58 in the country. But, like... The records aren't exactly inspiring. Like seven and three, Merton Vidmanova six and five, Epson Vecic one and two, Lapata and Riasco three and zero, great. You know Lapata and Rundorn three and zero, great. But like twenty four and thirteen. I guess what I'm saying is. Yes, you know you have that Grant Rundorn door you can open if need be, but like. This team is going I, – I, as as fun as it will be to find out who's playing four through six and who fits where in their singles lineup, I'm almost equally fascinated to find out the doubles lineup because I'll tell you what, if this team can get good at doubles, it's – it is. It becomes a national championship or bust type of season. Like the singles depth is clearly there. Do you think that was Jared Chaplin's first assignment when he walks on to campus <laughs> at Athens is, look, you are a Tennessee volunteer. Doubles yeah. runs deep in your blood. Fix this. Yeah, I, I I think his first assignment was beat Drake in their three out of five set match, which is one of my favorite <laughs> offseason series we saw. But that was one A. Like, absolutely. It's find the pieces. And that's where we didn't talk about him as a new addition. You talk in circles, and obviously, I think Alison Ojeda, who his former boss at Tennessee, would be the first to Sorry, say Sorry, I thought you were saying I talk in circles, and I was like, no, you talk in circles. Yeah. <laughs> I do talk in circles. But you talk in tennis circles, Jay. Everyone raves about Jared. I think he would be on that short list of up-and-coming assistant coaches or now associate head coaches who people think will someday be steering the ship at a major Division I program. And, yeah, they're going to need a double dose of Tennessee Dubs injected into their doubles lineup. Again, objectively, they were not good in doubles last season. This is really the only spot we can criticize. Like, they weren't. And so it's not like to ask for them to improve by 25% is nothing. Like, there's legitimate 50, 55, 60% improvement from a win percentage and just points on the board perspective open for them if they can find the right combinations. And, like, you mentioned the power of Gracie Epps. Maybe that's where she fits in this year if she's not redshirting. Maybe you just throw her power at a number three spot. And it's so funny because Leah Ma was so doubles averse. Like, we can say it, right? It's not like, it's not rude in retrospect. Like, your number one singles player wanted no part of the doubles court. Can't be the case this year. Like, again, we got to find three teams using our best talent, the right configurations, and just like, yeah, it was. it's just going to be fascinating to see who goes where and how that narrative plays out early in the season in a year where, look, there's going to be high expectations. They've scheduled accordingly. Like, they don't have the most time to find the right doubles lineup if they want to be winning a lot. But I guess they do have till May, ultimately, given the depth we have. Yeah, I guess. Well, let's just go to the schedule next here, Jay. I really – and we'll, well get to – okay, go ahead, please. Well, one, I just want to say I think you're right that doubles is like – the key mm-hmm. to a lot here. I also think whoever plays four, I don't know who that's going to be, but 
that person needs to prevent a potential drop off from this being too top heavy centric. And it was Lapata last year. She didn't get to finish a lot. What I love about Lapata is I feel like she is one of the best fighters on this team. I mean, she's taking injuries. She's getting blood. Like, I mean, she has a lot of things that she's willing to go to bat for. I don't know who's going to play for. And that, to me, could be a vulnerable spot for this team. So let's do the MVP conversation then first before we get to the schedule because it is a very nice schedule. And we'll talk. I mean, again, I, I spoiler alert: first month, Michigan Invitational, North Carolina kickoff weekend at Texas. Drake, if you wanted to win our hearts in year number one, congratulations, my friend. You've done it from a scheduling perspective, and you know, in that context, like their their best players are going to be asked to win right away. Like they are going to be pushed to the brink right away. And as I look in this singles lineup. That is a fascinating point, like that number four spot last year, which is where they struggled the most. They were 13-8 and eight there. That's the only spot where they won less than 70% of their matches on the season. Now, again, had Lapata been able to finish, you imagine that number gets a little bit higher than 13 total wins still. <laughs> I'm going to go the other way. Four is great. Like, you're absolutely right. They need to be very good at four. MVP, most valuable point. It can mean something different to anyone. I'm going to go one spot higher than that. Whoever is third of Vecic, Vidmanova, Riasco, like you got to be better than the 18 and 7 number they put up at number three last season. Like that will be the spot where they should comparatively dominate, even if it's against like a Cupris of an AM or pick your name out of a hat for any of the Florida names, any of the Auburn names, any of the Vanderbilt names you want to pick out of that hat to play that number three spot. They are just going to be more experienced and on paper more talented than maybe even, like maybe even with a, a blo- uh, who's going to play three for Stanford in my head. I'm like, is it going to be Blokina this year? Is it going to be? No. No, it's, <laughs> it's going to be, be who am one I- of, Blake Vidmanova. Oh, Blake. Uh, that's Blake. what I thought. Angel, Angelica Blake. I forgot is coming back. It, like Yepafanova, not Vidmanova. Yeah. Apologies. Uh, all good. Um, like whoever is three, Riasco's got to be able to play with a Blake. Riasco's got to be play, able to play with whomever post Crawley Brantmeyer number three is for UNC. Like, and not just like play competitively. Like if you're playing UNC multiple times this year, which could very much be in the cards for Georgia again. Can't go 0-3 at that number three spot. You might even need to go 2-1 and one on those days just because, again, the depth is so great for those teams as you look towards 4-5-6. I look at that number three spot, Jay, because, again, that that Vecic, Vidmanova, Riasco, three-headed demon, that's a big three, like no doubt about it. So most valuable point, we'll say, is three. Most vulnerable point, we'll say, is four. Mm, change up the Both MVPs. On me. I like it. I like it. That and you said we in, we interpret MVP how we want. A hundred percent. I didn't. I never defined the V. I never said valuable. I just said who's their MVP. Never most valuable. Just MVP. And again, doubles as well. Because God, would it be a pain in the for this team to be down to 0-1 as frequently as they were last season in the big matches. Yeah, I mean, we like, talked we've, about it. Yeah. we've beat that horse. That would be talking in our own circles, not uh, not the other circles I was alluding to earlier. But well, now, it's a concentric circle with the tennis and gel- intelligentsia. Yeah, exactly. You know the people I'm talking to. But now let's get into the schedule. And again, Jay, considering this is an SEC team, considering how uh, how deep we've talked about in just about every episode that conference may be. I mean, I just, I love what Drake has done with his schedule. I love that Michigan Invitational, January 12th through the 14th. D- 
Do I drive back for it, Jay, and go hang out in Ann Arbor that weekend? Some scholars are arguing maybe North Carolina the 21st. They're in Chapel Hill. Then they've got the kickoff weekend where, look, they're going to be the prohibitive favorites. Although, although, although as he opens up the weekend draft board. <laughs> well, they're still going to be the prohibitive favorites. Like, you're telling me they won't be prohibitively favored over the South Carolina team who we are obviously now talking about. And, man. Oh, I would love, I just would love to see Ackley and Hamner beat whomever the top two are for Georgia just for drama purposes to see if there is any chutzpah in the bottom of that line for South Carolina as well as see those Georgia Bulldogs pushed right away in an opening weekend. But by the way, again, that Georgia rolls into that kickoff weekend having already played North Carolina, having already gone to that Michigan Invitational, that is a massive boost uh, for that team. And again, what could be a tricky kickoff weekend after that? They're hoping to make the National Indoors get three to four more top 16 matches there. Then they've got at Georgia Tech. I like that matchup. Keep it in state. Good rivalry. Two proverbial top 16 programs. Then it's all SEC. And honestly, like, you kind of understand that, especially given the depth this year. And looking at those SEC opponents, as we've alluded to earlier, Vanderbilt's at home this year. It's a big steal. They're at Auburn. I think that's going to matter. They've got AM at home. They're at South Carolina. They're at Florida. Also worth noting, and I said this on the Texas A&M podcast, the SEC Conference Tournament, it's going to be held in Athens this year. That's a big coup uh, for this Georgia team that has significant national championship aspirations. What's the inflection point the weekend you're looking to most closely? Well, just a few other notes on the schedule. The UNC match we've now gotten for several years. Tip of the cap. Tip of the cap, yes, but Calbus is coming out on top of this negotiation. This is the third straight year. This will be in Chapel Hill. So we're not – they played that one match at those indoor courts, and they said, never again, you have to come back to Chapel Hill. So maybe now that the indoor facility in Athens is ready to go yes. this year, next year we'll be back in Athens. But, yeah, three straight years at North Carolina, so they certainly get tested. Uh Texas, I think I mentioned this on the Texas pod, but these two teams haven't played each other since 2018 indoors, which given the fact that Texas has won two national championships in that time frame, Georgia's been ranked number one, pretty strange. So I'm excited to see that matchup between these two teams. I am stealing your inflection point from our Texas A&M pod. I think for this Georgia program, it is the Florida match on March 8th. I think Florida and South Carolina being travel partners, which you so nicely pointed out to me on our last episode, is just such a tough test for all of these teams in the SEC. The teams couldn't be more different in terms of the strengths of the lineup. So you need all of your players to matter, particularly against a Florida team who I think is just so solid top to bottom. Georgia needs to win the doubles point, right? You do. Can't rely on getting four singles points there. And this is a decades old, it's more than decades, but in women's tennis, it's decades old. But in uh, the collegiate landscape, this is a long storied rivalry between Florida and Georgia. And so it's exciting that Florida is back in what we believe the top 10. We believe Georgia will be there as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one. And that is on the road in the swamp. Yeah, uh, it's a great call by you, and we've talked about this match enough, but 
man, I just want to watch them play North Carolina again. Like, that's – I'm so happy. I, that's very funny, by the way, that you point out that Calvis went to the four-court indoors. And he's like, do you know how good our two teams are? We're not playing on four indoor courts. The moment you finish your state-of-the-art gorgeous new indoor facility, which to your point, John J. Parsons, very close to completion. It might even be opening this year. Um yeah, they'll be back at Athens then, but that is a very funny little tidbit, a little note by you. I enjoy that. Yeah, like, look, I, we're going to know a lot about this team, I think, prior to the start of conference play because I this is a team we – look, they're preseason number three in our rankings for a reason. This is a team we expect to see not just make the national indoors, but – look to make a push for the title at the National Indoors. In fact, they're probably your number two favorites entering the National Indoors, just given that Stanford inside, they have to earn that benefit of the doubt probably back, given some of the struggles they've had over the last few seasons. Now, we know what talent that roster has, but you know you want to see it play out before we get there. Let's get to it, Jay. Ceiling floor for this team. I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear this team can win a national championship. Like, this is the part of the conversation I've been looking forward to most. I sometimes look at this roster, and I won't lie, like, Mert had a good, not great fall. I think had she had the great fall that I thought she might just have, then I, that's what really got my eyes popping, like, whoa. Like, and Gracie Epps, too. Like, again, if both of them had just had those, no, 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 we're both healthy, we're both here, and we are both as good as advertised, then you start to look at this team, and it really is a three-headed monster with UNC and Stanford from a caliber of talent, depth, all those different things. Because, again, Vidmanova and Riasco are that good. Like, they are two top 30 players outdoors when playing their best tennis, no doubt about it. On paper, like, you just can't look at what Alexandra Vecic has accomplished and not think she can be in that top 30 caliber player conversation throughout the course of this season as well. And then again, the depth, like, I really liked what I saw from Lapata this season, uh, last season. I'm a believer in Naran Dorn's game, and to see her have the fall that she did is just confirming that, man, her consistency, that grit, like, if that's a bottom half of a lineup player, that is not a tough out. Uh, that is a extro- not an easy out, excuse me, an extraordinarily tough out for anyone. And it just feels like the doubles is so, cr- like, they were just so bad at doubles last year that, again, and I, I hope we do get a text from Drake being like, all right, guys, we weren't that bad at doubles. Like, we beat Oklahoma. We came back and beat Michigan in the doubles point, although, and I say this with love, yeah. you didn't beat Michigan in the doubles point. They handed you that doubles point in the quarterfinal round. Like, it's just so obvious that they can improve there and that they have the the talent and depth to replicate their singles results from last season, that I can't look at this roster and not think, like, why couldn't they be better than last year? And last year they made national indoor finals and NCAA semifinals, and I do think this year's team can be a better version. So I think the ceiling's pretty unequivocally national championship, Jay. Yeah, it's absolutely national championship as ceiling. I think the big question on can they be better is who can put up Meg Kowalski numbers at number five? Because I don't think there's any doubts about this top three. You know, I think that they're going to put up either similar numbers or even better. And I hopefully for them, it's better. But it's finding that four through six recipe. And yes, maybe Mert, Gracie Epps didn't have the fall that I, I wasn't really expecting it was good to see Gracie Epps on the tennis court, uh, to be honest. But I think they have another 
four and a half months, right, to continue to get better. And you see the improvements that someone like a Lopata made who wasn't even in the lineup in some of those early matches and to see her grit, grit towards the end of the season. So if Mert continues to develop like that, yeah, there's they also have a lot of options. They return so many players. They have so many options. They'll be able to rest, uh, get people ready, injury prevention. It's all there. And uh, I hope we see that fire. I hope they internalize the fact that they can win a national championship this year. They are capable of doing that. And we see that fire throughout the duration of the season. From a floor perspective, like not making the quarterfinal, I think something went really wrong. And that is either like a pretty significant injury, someone not playing the spring. It would have to be pretty wrong, I think, for them not to make the make the quarterfinal. But the other thing is that there's a lot of really good teams in the SEC. And so that could go two ways. Either they're going to be ranked very high or they're going to get boxed out if they aren't the best team in the SEC, even though we have them ranked at three. But yeah, I would be shocked if they don't make the quarterfinal. I will say there's a world where we get three top eight SEC teams if they beat up on each other enough. And again, if they can have a little bit of national indoor success because they are that good. Like the the conference is that deep. There is that much talent. And thus again, like the winner of the, I always say the winner on the SEC men's side, I think will certainly have two losses this year. Winner of the men's side could have one as well. Uh, could Excuse me, the winner of the women's side could have one or two as well. And so it will be fascinating oh, yeah. to see. But man, this Georgia team is really good. And just one final note here to go full circle. We talked about the context of where this Georgia program has been. How about where it's going? Like, everyone can come back next season. Like, Vidmanova, Riasco, they're both juniors. Lapata, Vecic, they're both sophomores. Narundor and Grant, both juniors as well. Like, I know I sometimes get in trouble for this, but they may lose an NCAA semifinal in May to win it in May of 2025. And like, I know like you don't want to think of this year as a building block year for next season, but if you are a Georgia fan at home, just keep in mind, the two-year window is open. Like your window is open to win a national championship these next two seasons. And if you don't do it this season, don't think of it as the end of the world because all of this talent is coming back more experienced, maybe even better than ever. Probably. You never know in the transfer portal era, but probably yeah. <laughs> in 24-25. So I just I think it is worth having that extra piece as we end today's show. It is very possible. I do think that like as the landscape evolves, it's so tough to think about 2025. At this point, you don't know who's going to return. You don't know what is going to happen. So I think we're focusing on 2024. And the reality is that they can win it this year. And the they're hosting in 2026. They open the new indoor facility. Like, you know, tennis is alive and well in Athens. You saw the crowds that they were bringing out last year i hope fans listening to the, this podcast continue to go and support both of those teams in athens i'm sure they will because it's always a site for us to see those packed uh, stadiums absolutely and so again the talent is there the experience is there it's gonna be really fun to watch the georgia bulldogs compete in 2024 something i know you and i both look forward to doing throughout the course of this season i do want to make one more note jay before we wrap today's podcast. And I have said this before, college football is the 
straw that stirs the drink for all non-revenue sports in collegiate athletics. And if I were a head coach or an aspiring head coach, the program I would want to be associated with is whatever has Kirby Smart as their football coach, because I know that program is going to be well-funded for the duration of his head coaching tenure. But if you want to know what an elite website looks like, if you want to know what elite statistics look like, if you want to know what an elite operation is run like from helping our job, Jay, not going to get better than the Georgia website, who legitimately have everything you could look for. And I just want to credit their SID. I want to credit that athletic department. Yes, they do have more resources to put into it than many of their peers, but they do an exceptional job. They do not skip steps for either of their tennis programs. Case in point, they're building a brand new indoor facility right now. Like it just, you got to credit this Georgia program for nailing the little things. Well, those are not little things and yeah. they, you know, and they absolutely nail them. It's one of the programs I always look at and think, you know, oftentimes at many schools, tennis can be neglected. Yeah. And I, my perception, you know, is that these athletes are considered professionals at these places and they are considered with the utmost respect and what they deserve. And it's exciting to see these college athletes experience things like professional press and go through those and be treated and have the social media coverage that they deserve. Georgia, no one does it better. Yeah, it's just, again, a credit to the program, a credit to what they have accomplished in both men's and women's tennis over the years. And certainly, again, expecting some big things from this women's program in 2024. That said, Jay, we've got two teams left to go. And spoiler alert, you know who they are. They're Stanford. They're UNC. What order are they coming in? You're going to have to stick around to find out. But again, it's 2024. We are inching closer and closer to the start of a new college tennis season. And I know I speak for Jay, everyone here at Cracked Rackets. We are ready to get rocking and rolling. So, folks, stick with us for our final few preview podcasts, and then we can start talking about all the action as it unfolds this year. With that said, Jay, any pods you need to plug on the no ad, no problem side of things? Any final things we should know before we wrap today's show? Doing, I mentioned we're doing some men's preview content as well. So talking about the contenders, the favorites, and uh, yeah, you can catch that on the No Ad No Problem podcast. Doing the mailbag, so send me your questions. I like answering these questions. Give me some interesting ones. They're always fun to do. I'll put some predictions out there as well for the 2024 season. Let me know what you want to hear. I love to hear it. Well, then, with all of that said, folks, a shout-out to Jay. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our podcasts possible. And, by the way, look behind the curtain once again. We're recording this podcast Friday, December 29th. Why do I bring up that date? Even though I think I've been really good in projecting that we're in the new year to all of you listeners. I know. You really the new just yeah. – Why I throw that for a loop there, there's a reason. Do you know what today is, Jay? December 29th. Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Super producer Daniel Westoff's birthday. Happy birthday to Westoff. We love you. We know without you, nothing would be possible here uh, at Cracked Rackets. And so, yeah, you listeners are going to hear this a little bit after the fact. That was my way of telling Jay. Shoot him the text to say happy birthday. Sending it right now. Exactly. But happy birthday, Westoff. We love you oh so very much. And we know without you, nothing we do here at CR would be possible. So with that said, for our fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer and the birthday man, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? 
Happy birthday, Westoff. And we will see you all next time. Hey, great shot. <laughs>